Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I am your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What is up, y'all? I is back. I is back from vacation. What if I talked like that? I is back. Um, yeah, what up, guys? It's been a couple weeks. Um, I was gone for two weeks for a little vacay, and it was awesome. And by awesome, I mean awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, we First week, we kind of just hung out around the house, had a little staycation. And the second week, we went out to Gulf Shores, Alabama, spent some time on the beach. My in-laws watched the kids for me. And that was pretty dope. That was pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, it was a great vacation. Hope you guys are having a great start to your summer. Um, you know, I think a lot of states, if not all of them, probably not all of them, but a lot of them, like they're starting to really open up, uh, starting to get rid of a lot of the COVID restrictions. I just saw like California and New York, I think it just announced it that they are, or they're about to or something like that. So if California and New York are doing it, I mean, shoot, hopefully everybody else is doing it now. I live in Texas, so we've been uh, in the land of the free and the home of the taco for a long time here. And so, um, yeah, like, vaccinated people like not not rocking masks anymore um which is pretty flipping awesome um because i just hate wearing masks uh it's just the worst it always baffles me still when i see people like running outside and they're like wearing masks and i'm like what are you what are you doing first off you're outside right so like you don't even need to wear a mask and also like you're running and that's just awful and if you're listening to this and if you've been a person slash are a person that runs in a mask, uh, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just telling you to stop because <laughs> you don't need to anymore. Um, but anyway, welcome to Catholics with Bibles. First two minutes of the show, usually some kind of rant by me. Uh, but anyway, uh, this episode is the conclusion of our mini series on the theology of the body. So we've been spending a lot of time uh, within the text of man and woman, he created them within the various passages of scripture that JP2 has been leading us into. Uh, it's been awesome. Um, and today's study is, you know, I've said this a hundred times probably throughout this mini series. We didn't cover everything. Uh, I never really tried to cover everything. I was just trying to give you a bird's eye view of all the different uh, topics and all the different subjects he kind of talks about. Um, the reason we're stopping Today uh, is because the reflections kind of moving forward after Tobit. Um, he, he JP two talks a lot about um, uh, various uh, ecclesial documents um, regarding marriage and family, which are awesome, beautiful. You should read them, um, like Humanae Vitae um, and Gaudium Best. But it's just he's not like really talking about scripture directly uh, within those reflections. Um, and so being Catholic with Bibles, I really try to stay true to the name and slash the theme. And, and every episode, I really try to stay rooted and grounded in scripture. Um, not saying that the, everything he talks about isn't super important. It really is. Um, especially if you are a married couple and if you have been wrestling with this idea of um, responsible parenting, right, in regards to the NFP, you know, when to postpone, when we shouldn't postpone, all those kind of questions. Uh, the last section of the men when we created them I mean, you should read it, right? You should, first of all, you should read Humanae Vitae. Um, you should read, and then after you read that, read what JP2 has to say about Humanae Vitae. He dedicates like, oh, I don't know, at least a half a dozen or more 
audience is to just talking about humana vitae and responsible fatherhood and motherhood. Um, he never delivered these addresses, even even today uh, in the Song of Songs last time. He never delivered the addresses, but he did he did write them out. And so we have them in men when he created them. Um, and so you should read it. And even if you're not married, if you're discerning marriage, um, then you should read it. I know sometimes it can be this like hot button debate amongst Catholics of like, you know, when you should postpone, when you should not postpone. The church says you should only postpone uh, with grave matter or serious matter. Um, and then people argue like, well, what what constitutes grave and serious matter um, and all these things. And it's, it's really it's a hard conversation for some couples um, and it can be a hard truth. Uh, to hear at times for other couples, um, but it's really important for us to be well-formed Catholics, right? Uh, the one thing I'll say kind of on that note is that the Humana Vitae literally says, like Pope Paul VI literally says, that only the couple can make the decision, right? So obviously the couple's responsibility to have a well-formed conscience, to to be able to understand proper church teaching, and also to understand that life is beautiful and having kids is amazing, um, and you literally, every time you have a kid, you're, you're co-creating another human being with God and you're co-creating another person to love and serve God. Right. Um, and so anyway, uh, that's all I'll say about that. I don't want to chase that rabbit, uh, too much, uh, cause uh, today we're going to talk about Tobit. Um, and so this is the last kind of, uh, purely biblical section within the man and woman. He created them. Um, and it's a really beautiful, uh, reflection from, uh, Pope St. John Paul II. Um, and, I'm not going to lie, guys, I totally goofed, and I don't have a Greek or Hebrew word of the day today. Um, as I was prepping, I was just like kind of going about it, and um, the Bible I'm using for my Old Testament is not a English-Hebrew Bible. That Bible is at home. It's just a good old-fashioned English Bible, um, and old, uh, obviously Tobit's in the Old Testament, and so my Greek-English New Testament does not come in handy at this point. Um, so anyway... The Greek word of the day today is you're awesome. No, uh, we're just not going to have one today. So that's that's on me. I'm still on vacation brand today. And mea culpa, you know, this is on me. But anyway, um, we're going to get into Tobit today. The passage in particular that uh, Pope St. John Paul II zooms in on is Tobit and Sarah's prayer before their consummation. But there's a lot of kind of background info that we need to be aware of in regards to Tobit in general. Um, a few things about the, the book of Tobit in general. Uh, the first thing is this is not necessarily and probably probably not a literal historical event or story. Um, this is something called in Hebrew a midrash. Um, well, there you go. That's a Hebrew word. Um, <laughs> got that one in my head. So this is a midrash. Um, and so essentially um, that Hebrew word was also translated as in like psalm or poem or um kind of a story or a riddle even. That's actually a little translation in Midrash. It means riddle. Um, and so Jesus taught in Midrashic form. Um, basically, he taught in parables, right? Um, parables are kind of like a riddle in a certain way. Um, so Tobit is most likely a Midrashic tale, right? It's a, it's a tale that was uh, made up in order to prove a point. Could it have happened like literally in history? Like, yeah, totally. Could have happened. Like this could have been a literal event that took place. Um, I, I, my personal opinion is that it probably did not literally happen. It could have been inspired by some events. It could have been, you know, whatever. Uh, but odds are it's a midrashic tale um, that is trying to teach its audience, its readers, uh, truths of uh, the faith, right? And so Tobit is um, 
arguably a, a later book. Um, it's a it's a kind of around the wisdom literature era, so way after the Pentateuch, um, probably after First Second Samuel, First Second Chronicles. Uh, well, anyway, uh, it's not an early book. It's a later book, um, and the reason being it, the the faith of Israel uh, is pretty well developed within the text, but also. Um, this is post Babylon exile, right? So obviously that's a later later time period as well. And so th- the story, the narrative structure uh, of Tobit is really beautiful. Uh, we're not going to like get into everything, but if you haven't read Tobit, it's a super easy read. It's only like what eight chapters? No, that's totally a lie. It's like 12, 12 chapters. I'm flipping around. Fourteen chapters. It's super. I mean, you could literally. It's one. It's a one sit down read kind of a kind of a book kind of thing. Um, so you should read Tobit if you haven't. It's really beautiful. But in summary, essentially, uh, you know, Tobias is the father of Tobit, and uh, Tobit sends his son Tobias to go and um, marry uh, this woman Sarah. Sarah being his uh, cousin, essentially. Remember back in the day, Israelites uh, were is pretty important that they not marry. Um, Gentiles, right? Um, so a lot of the times, this interfamily uh, marriage uh, was totally acceptable in the culture, um, and so a lot of times relatives married other relatives, whether distant or, or close. Um, and so uh, Sarah, being a to- uh, cousin of, of Tobit, um, and what happens, right? Tobit goes on this this journey, and the archangel Raphael encounters him and, and kind of is, you know hides himself. Um, doesn't reveal that he's an archangel right away um, and even eats eats some fish um, to help him out. And then on the way, though, the thing with Sarah, the problem with Sarah, kind of the climax of the book, is that Sarah has been married off seven times. But before she consummated her marriage, every single time, a demon, uh, Asmodeus, uh, is, kills whoever her betrothed or husband before consummation uh, was on the, their wedding night after they close the doors, they all end up dead, right? Asmodeus kills the husband. How it does, how we, how the demon does that, it never says, um, but it, it happens, obviously. Uh, and so Tobit, knowing this, journeys to marry uh, Sarah with the help of Raphael, who he doesn't know is an archangel at this point. Um, and so at one point, though, Raphael tells Tobit to catch a fish, and he gives Tobit like various, like, Hey, you should burn some incense and burn this fish, and that'll that'll scare away the demon, kind of thing. Um, and so eventually, Tobit finds or you know arrives, encounters Sarah, uh, asks Sarah's father for her hand in marriage, and her father's like, "Dude, are you sure? Because like we tried this seven other times, and they all done dead. You know what I'm saying?" And Tobit's like, "Yes, dude, uh, I have confirmation from who he now knows, Archangel Raphael." I have the promise of God that this is meant to be. Um, and so he uh, marries her, right? Um, and so after the, the wedding itself, after the celebration, um, and so the last thing uh, that uh, Raguel says, uh, Sarah's father, is take her right now in accordance with the law. You are her relative and she is yours. The merciful God will guide you both for the best. Then he called his daughter Sarah, and taking her by the hand, he gave her to Tobias to be his wife, saying, Here she is. Take her according to the law of Moses, and take her with you to your father. And he blessed them. Next he called his wife Edna, and took a scroll and wrote out the contract, and they set their seals on it. 
Then they began to eat. And Raoul called his wife Edna and said to her, Sister, make up the other room and take her into it. So she did as she said and took her there. And the girl began to weep. But the mother comforted her daughter in her tears and said to her, Be brave, my child. The Lord of heaven and earth grant you joy in place of this sorrow of yours. Be brave, my daughter. When they had finished eating, they escorted Tobias as Tobias into her room. As he went, he remembered the words of Raphael. And he took the live ashes of incense and put the heart and liver of the fish upon them and made a smoke. And when the demon smelled the odor, he fled the remotest parts of, to the remotest parts of Egypt, and the angel bound him. When the door was shut and the two were alone, Tobias got up from the bed and said, Sister, get up and let us pray. The Lord may have mercy upon us. And then Tobias began to pray, which we're going to dive into the prayer here in a second. But that's just some background, right? So the, he's journeying with Raphael. He trusts in the word of Raphael and the word of God that uh, you know, he would be able to marry Sarah. Sarah obviously doesn't have this, this trust, this faith, because she doesn't have this encounter with Raphael like Tobias did. Um, but a few things to, to, to kind of point out here uh, with, with this story. Um, and and you know, the, the first is that, you know, JP2 really talks about in this story, this idea of authentic love, right? This love, and he ties it back to the Song of Songs, which we talked about last time. This love that's stronger than death, right? In the Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 7. This is love as strong as death. And Tobias kind of encompassing it and then embodying that reality. Why? Because he literally stood de- stared death in the face, right? He literally stared death in the face. He said, I might die, but I trust God. And so I will marry this woman, right? And, and then we get to this part that, that JP2 really talks about a lot, and namely the prayer of Tobias. And so I'll read this prayer to you. Um, this prayer, this is actually um, offered as a, a reading option in uh, wedding uh, masses. This was our second reading at my own wedding. Just I find this prayer just so beautiful, uh, so touching, and really, it's, I feel like uh, every husband and wife should pray this prayer together like Tobias and Sarah prayed this prayer together. So this is the prayer. And Tobias began to pray. This is uh, chapter 8, verse 5. Blessed art thou, O God of our fathers, and blessed be thy holy and glorious name forever. Let the heavens and all thy creatures bless thee. Thou madest Adam and gavest him Eve his wife as a helper and support. From them the race of mankind has sprung. Thou didst say, It is not good that the man should be alone. Let us make a helper for him like himself. And now, O Lord, I am not taking this sister of mine because of lust, but with sincerity. Grant that I may find mercy and may grow old together with her. And she said with him, Amen. Then they both went to sleep for the night. So, I mean, this prayer is just so beautiful, right? And I th- and I, I really, I think it's fitting. JP two kind of ends his his reflections with this before getting into Humana Vitae because it really kind of wraps up Tob, right? It goes back to the beginning, right? It goes back to, you know, God made Adam, but He said it's not good for man to be alone, and then, uh, you know, He gave him a helper fit for himself, right? Um, and then after 
acknowledging God's goodness, acknowledging God's greatness, acknowledging the fact that God has made us to know and to love and to serve him. God has made us, we were made by love, for love, to love, right? If you get nothing else from this, this mini series, know that, right? We were made for, uh, by love, for love, to love. Everything is centered on total gift of self to will the good of the other for the sake of the other. And for husbands and wife, that means to give of yourself completely and to stare death in the face for your spouse every single day, right? It's usually not some literal death, but it's dying to yourself in order to give of yourself. It's self-mastery for the sake of self-gift, right? So Tobias, the story of Tobias and Sarah, Tobias encompasses Theology of the body. He stares death in the face and he, he, he turns to God and says, God, you are good. You are great and worthy to be praised. Lord, I don't take this woman out of lust, right? So we, we had a whole section on lust, right? Lust of the heart. I don't, and Tobias says, I, I'm not doing that. I'm not viewing this woman as an object to be used for my own gratification, I see this beautiful woman as a sister, right? And this is the same language of the uh, of, sorry of Song of Songs, right? He says, "I'm not taking this sister of mine because of lust, but with sincerity." JP two says that sister language, that sister bride language that we see in Song of Songs that we see in uh, Tobit here, shows a reciprocity. It shows an equality, right? This reciprocal reciprocal nature of husband and wife that you see here as an equal a co-worker, yet there's a masculinity and femininity that is essential. Namely, that man is the one who initiates the gift. The woman in her femininity receives the gifts and then gives back, right? It's the reciprocity of this unity between the husband and the wife, masculine femininity, uh, sister bride, right? Uh, bridegroom bride. And so, this idea of love as strong as death. Tobit stares death in the face and says, I choose to love even if that means I die. And obviously he doesn't, right? Tobit ready to face death with her, but he beats the physical death and the physical evil. And this is JP2, not Chase Cross. By first repelling the evil, the demon in his soul, right? And that's one thing I think it's so important, you know, when it comes to taking care of our bodies even, right? And taking care of our souls is the physical is equally as important as, as the spiritual, right? We are our bodies. That's what I mean by that. You know, your soul is not more important than your body. Body is not more important than your soul. You, you are your body, right? You can't separate the two. But JP2 points out, that the reason Tobit was successful in this battle, the reason the victory was won, is because he repelled all the temptations of the evil one internally before he faced them physically, right? And that's so important for us as married men and women, uh, or even for discerning marriage, or you're dating. Self-mastery has to come, I mean, before. You can't give what you don't have. So if you still struggle with like grave, like mortal sin, you, my advice would be don't get engaged. If you're engaged, like hold off the, the wedding, right? Because your wedding is not going to cure you of that sin. 
right? It's not. So, I mean, talk to your spiritual director about this, obviously, and confessor. But if you're if you're in the midst of like a serious mortal sin battle, right? I, I would say, through the grace of God, conquer and win that victory because you can't give what you don't have. And if you are a slave to sin, then how are you supposed to give yourself to your spouse? Now, I'm not, I mean, we're all sinners, right? And I'm not saying that, like, don't be scrupulous about this. Don't, don't say, I can't get, never get married because I'm never going to be perfect. Like, that's not the point. Uh, what I'm saying is, is if you are in a daily, like a daily battle, if you are literally addicted to certain kinds of sins, then you are not in a place to give of yourself totally, right? That's not fair to your spouse, your future spouse. Um, and so Tobit, having mastered himself, having mastered himself internally, has, has been now able to give of himself totally, body and soul, right? And so um, through prayer, he wins. And so we have this beautiful quote by uh, JP2. We read this. The prayer of Tobias and Sarah becomes in some way the deepest model of the liturgy, whose word is a word of power. It is a word of power drawn from the sources of the covenant and of grace. It is the power that frees from evil and purifies. In this word of the liturgy, the sacramental sign of marriage is fulfilled, built in the unity of man and woman on the basis of the language of the body, reread in the integral truth of the human being. What is he saying? Well, the sacramentality of marriage, right? You, you, a priest doesn't marry you. You marry yourselves. You, you, you live this sacrament. The sacrament of marriage is a living sacrament, right? Now, don't be confused. I'm not, I'm not saying that other sacraments like aren't living, like Jesus is truly present in all of them. But in this way, your vocation, you, you marry yourselves. You, the two become one flesh. You are representing the fact in your union that Christ has wed his church. You are representing in your unit, in your unity, both physically in the conjugal act, but also in your daily lives, the peace, the love, the joy that Christ and his bride share eternally, right? And Tobit encompasses this perfectly, perfectly. And so to kind of summarize, we read, I read this later on, quote in uh, audience 117b. JP2 says this, in this way, the reciprocal fascination of masculinity and femininity matures spiritually through the virtue and even more so through the gift. Both the man and the woman, provided they turn away from concupiscence, find the proper dimension of the freedom of the gift, united with femininity and masculinity and the true spousal meaning of the body. Thus, liturgical language, that is, the language of the sacrament and of the mystery becomes in their life and living together the language of the body in a depth, simplicity, and beauty hitherto altogether unknown. The Christian, the Catholic vocation of marriage is a beauty that's never been seen by the world. So in man and woman, he created them. In this theology of the body, this is a living a living document, I'd say. Is I mean, this is and JP two has changed the world with it. And, and I hope that this mini study, this mini study, this mini series, I, I hope it kind of lights a fire in you 
to one, read Man and Woman, He Created Them, or read you know some Christopher West books or whatever on, on Theology of the Body. Uh, Jason Everett has some good stuff too. Uh, but to continue to study, continue to dive deeper into theology, especially if you're married, especially if you're married, right? Understand the sacrament that you live and have that be, you know, the, the soundboard that you bounce off of every night. Did my marriage represent Christ's union with the church today? And if not, why? And if it's on you, pray for forgiveness. And if it's on your spouse, pray for mercy, that you may have mercy on them, they may grow together. And continue to talk to your spouse about, you know, how can we make our marriage beautiful? How can we live this sacramental reality of Christ's union with the church in our lives and our family? That others may see our relationship, see our marriage, and see Christ in his church. See joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, self-control, generosity, all these fruits of the Spirit within the marriage. It's easier said than done, I know, but with God, all things are possible. And so, once again, hope you've enjoyed this mini-series. Hope it brings you peace, joy, happiness, love, all these things that only God can bring. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, then just let me know. Uh, some exciting news coming your way about our next study. But until next time, y'all, God bless. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me on Catholics with Bibles. So exciting news. Our next study, we're actually going to be doing something a little bit different. So one of the my favorite books of all time is a book called Politicizing the Bible by Scott Hahn and Benjamin Weicker. And in it, they talk about why... Biblical interpretation is the way it is today by looking at a bunch of Enlightenment philosophers that kind of manipulated the Bible to kind of get political ends. And so we're actually going to be doing a little mini series on the book, looking at some of these political philosophers and these Enlightenment philosophers and how they affected how people read the Bible. Really excited for it. It's going to be a really, really fun study. So tune in next week for Catholics with Bibles.